All right, everybody, all together now and exhale <laughs> of sorts. Of course, it depends on when you're listening to this. If you're listening in May, you still have some school year to go. Okay, maybe hold your breath just a little longer. But if you happen to be listening to this over summer break, hopefully you've already exhaled and you're relaxing a bit after yet another challenging school year. And as far as your booking is concerned, yeah, that's been challenging too. So we're going to say welcome or welcome back to the Your Booking Report podcast. If you're a newbie, welcome. I think you've picked a good one here. My name is Scott Giese. I have just completed 24 years as a representative for Jostin's Yearbooks, 40 plus years as a journalist, which is why I do this job in the first place. And we've had a lot of fun now. This is the end of season five, actually of the Your Booking Report podcast. Hard to believe it's been five years that we've been doing this series, and we've enjoyed every moment. We've learned so many great things from so many terrific folks from all over the country, and we hope that you have too. If you've been a regular listener, hopefully you've gotten a lot of great stuff. But if uh, whoever you are, especially if you're a newbie, we think we've got a pretty good episode here for you, which uh, this year we've had some fun. Each one of our episodes has had a basic theme this one is being called the transformation episode. And after the last three years, of course, that we've had, yes, of course, tied to the pandemic, maybe it's time for a yearbook transformation. Because in my travels, I've seen a lot of folks struggling. I've seen a lot of yearbook advisors having a tough time. A lot of kids, you know, not exactly being all that energetic. You know, let's go out and get those stories. Well, you know, that kind of reaction and so on. And so some folks are doing fine. Some folks, frankly, aren't. And maybe in that situation, or for folks that say, you know what, we just want to take our yearbook to new heights. We want to do some new stuff. Then this is the episode for you, the transformation episode. And so for this one, we went back to someone that we talked to several years ago, our friend Kristen Scott. Now, back then, Kristen, I would say, was one of the top middle school yearbook advisors in the country from Texas. And her book, well, I have one or two copies of some of her past yearbooks, and oh my goodness, it would put a lot of high school books to shame. And this was done primarily by 7th and 8th graders. So first off, if you're a middle school person, yes, it is possible to do a top quality yearbook with younger students. It's possible. They need a little extra leadership, which uh, Kristen's got to kind of touch on here in just a bit, but it's doable. And she had a dynamite job. Now, we saw it. And a couple of years ago, Johnson's went to her and said, hey, you want to come work for us? And she's like, sure. And so now she's got a couple of fancy titles, which we'll describe here in just a couple of moments. But we are so glad to have Kristen on our team because she is outstanding, I think, at everything she does. And the idea with the transformation episode, we went to Kristen to say, okay, Kristen, let's say you were back in the classroom again and you had a chance to do whatever. What would you do? What are some key elements that you would concentrate on to make sure that you have an even better yearbook effort next year than you had the year before, and then keep on going down that track so that your yearbook buyers in your school, they don't even have to think like, oh, our yearbook is outstanding. I'm going to go get one. It tells lots of stories. It represents me and so on. That sort of thing. That, I think, is transformation. So if you don't already grab a pen and paper, Get ready to take some notes. Now, some of this stuff, you might say, yep, okay, we're doing that. I know we're going to have some stuff. Oh, boy, I never considered that because the idea is how can we change things? Now, again, if you're listening to this in May, in the summertime, before the new school year starts, of course, this is the perfect time to be thinking transformation, to start your planning, to start your organizing. Maybe somehow you're listening to this actually in September uh, after school has started, it's not too late then either. The key is to make the effort, and it is possible. So let's start taking some notes. And first off, let's meet our friend Kristen. Well, first off, Kristen, we're going to say welcome back. It's been, actually, I had to check, four years. You've been on oh. this little feature before, but welcome back to the Yearbooking Report. I appreciate your time today. Glad to be here. I can't believe it's been four years. I feel like I just did this like a year ago. Time flies. No, you and I did this and it was pre-COVID. Now, I know that seems like a hundred years ago, but it was actually pre-COVID. 
I'm like, oh, yeah, we did do this before. Although today we're going to do something a little different, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. Now, when I did talk to you four years ago, if I recall, you were still a yearbook advisor in Texas, I think, at that particular point. And I have made the claim, I think, I've seen your book, Healing Middle School in Texas, one of the best middle school yearbooks I have ever seen. Now, am I right? Four years ago, were you still teaching, I think, at that point, weren't you? Yes, I was at Keeling. I left in 2020, and I left mid-year in 2020. So um, I was still at Keeling. Um, but I did, I I helped while I, I, I took the job at Jostens, but it didn't start until February. And so, um, but I, I left at semester so they could hire somebody Um unfortunately they, they couldn't find anybody. So I worked with the kids through, um, really through the end of March to get the yearbook done. So from that one month of, or from February to March, I was kind of working my yearbook class met at set at seven in the morning. And so I basically worked with them from seven until nine. And then I started my Justin's job from nine until five. And so I just sort of helped them, uh, finish out their book. Now, it's interesting. They couldn't find somebody, and that was three years ago. You know that's a very familiar refrain right now, right? I do. Unfortunately, I do know that. Yeah, okay. And you're now working for Jostens, and you've got some very spiffy-sounding titles. One <laughs> was Education Specialist, and another one is Customer Experience Manager. Okay, those are big, long terms. What exactly do you do now? Education specialist was essentially um, working on the uh, curriculum and classroom support offerings that we have at Justin. So anything that you find in the digital classroom to help uh, teach your classes or to help learn aspects of your book um, from, you know, posters to PowerPoints to J classes. Um, and then also summer trainings like J-A-U, uh, J-N-Y-W. Those are all kind of rolled into education specialist. Customer experience means um, anything that uh, anything that involves, anything that kind of touches the advisor customer. So customer experience is not looking at the yearbook end consumer, which is the person that's buying the yearbook um, or the parent that might be paying for the yearbook. It is um, customer experience is our advisors and our students who work with Jostens to make yearbooks. So anything that goes out from Jostens to those customers um, kind of runs through customer experience. So all the contests, the lookbook, photo contest, program of excellence, that's all customer experience. Any sort of um, anything that uh, world beat is customer experience because it it goes to the it, it's purchased by the school by the advisor um, or purchased to be, go in the book. Um, trying to think what else effort free spreads that you might see in the digital classroom that's a customer experience piece. And then again, it also includes all of the curriculum and everything that you find in the digital classroom and then workshops and there's a lot more. And I'm not doing a great job of thinking of it all at this very moment, but it's, it's, there's uh, the weekly emails that go out to advisors, the grow your no emails. Those are kind of the biggest pieces. All right. I was going to ask now for folks who are maybe really into business, you, you follow business terms and stuff like that. Customer experience is a term that is heard a lot, you know, a lot of, you know, big companies, small companies, all kinds of companies have, you know, we want to make sure our customer experience is very good. And all those things you just listed, do you actually sleep? I mean, there's a lot of things there. What? No, I, do, I don't sleep. I do not, actually. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff there that happens behind the scenes that isn't out in front and gets like big publicity and so on. You do a lot of stuff behind the scenes, right? Yeah, and I think that the thing about customer experience, and you're right, it is a growing field in the business world. They refer to, I had a friend who I told I got this job and they're like, oh, you're in CX. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. It sounds like a sci-fi show or something. Um, but um, what I think what the thing about customer experience is that a lot, like it's unlike some of the other areas of business that can be measured with like data and metrics, customer experience is, is more of, 
uh, is less about quantity and quantifying things and is more about quality. So it's it's not like it's hard to directly link how customer experience efforts um, are are successful or not successful. So it's really important for our Jostens customers to respond to surveys when if when we send them out because that's one of the the best ways for us to find out if the things we're doing um, are reaching our customers and are satisfactory to our customers. Yeah, UX is user experience, CX is customer experience. And if uh, folks, if you've ever been to a website that's kind of clunky and doesn't work all that well, and you get frustrated and you dive out, that's where you need the X person like Kristen here to make sure that things work properly. So Kristen, we're glad to have you on our team. That's really important. Um, now I mentioned, you know, I meant you were a former middle school yearbook advisor and again, I've saw your book. It would put most high school books to shame, I would say. And you did this with what? Eighth graders, seventh graders. Who'd you have? I had six through eight. Um, they were wonderful students though. <laughs> it was pretty, I was pretty lucky. I, I did have an application based program. So kids who signed up had to get an application and often a teacher recommendation um, before being admitted into the class. And that made a huge difference because I ended up getting kids who really wanted to be in yearbook. I didn't have them submit work samples or portfolios. I suppose if, you know, if, it, if I had gotten really large numbers of students signing up for the class, then I could have looked at something like that. But um, it was pretty, usually the application was just a really good way to get a feel for who wanted to be there. And also to help help me make sure I wasn't staffing my program with only kids who wanted to be photographers or only kids who wanted to be writers. It allowed me to make sure I was gonna have kids who had interests in all the areas that are, are picked up in yearbook class. Now I'm gonna try not to be too harsh, but <laughs> frankly, my experience 20 plus years of doing this, most middle school yearbooks are picture books. I mean, that's it, they're picture books little of any writing, just a big giant collage. Your book clearly was not that. Um, and from what you just said a moment ago, it, it sounds like you made your class or your group very educational. In other words, the kids really learned a lot of stuff as part of your class. Would that not be correct? How did you handle that? Um, they did learn. And I think, um, I, I agree that I think there is well, I think that I think this is true across all levels of your book is that any anywhere from elementary to high school, there are books that are picture books, are collages. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, I mean, photos document the school year and, and a yearbook, a school has to decide what their community is looking for. A lot of times, though, I think that a school may not know there's another option. So they they make a picture book only because that's what has always been done and that they don't realize that they can put words in the yearbook and that the words they put in the yearbook are what make the book timeless, are what make the book an archival product. Because I have yearbooks that don't have words in them and I open them up and I'm sure 20, 30 years ago, I thought I would remember everything and I don't when I look at them. Um, and there, I even have some books, yearbooks of my own that are picture books that don't have writing that I actually wrote underneath the picture what they were or what was happening there because I did want to remember. And so essentially that's what we're doing when we add words to yearbooks. And I used to show my students in my class those old yearbooks that I had that where I had written my own caption because I think it's important for them to understand because they don't have that perspective that in 20 or 30 years, they might not remember every single instance of middle school, which is actually a really good thing for them. <laughs> but um, yeah, it involved a lot of coaching on uh, being a middle school yearbook advisor and trying to get writing into the book involved a lot of coaching on um, having conversations, listening to people and finding stories. And those are all really, really, really important skills for them to have not just as yearbookers, but as human beings. I'm curious now, middle school, did you ever have a chance or, or I don't know, take the initiative to follow some of your kids when they went up to high school 
Did they continue to do your book? Did what they learn in your class benefit them at the upper level? Do you ever have a chance to follow up on that? Oh, 100%. So my school pulled from several other, my middle school pulled from several other area schools. So not all of the kids tracked to the same high school, but there was a period of like, so I was an advisor for 12 or 13 years. And there was a period of maybe six or seven years where one of my former students, typically a former editor for my staff, was the editor-in-chief of their high school public high school yearbook as a senior um, at either one of the two big schools that we fed into, um, and sometimes both. And it was really fun, especially because Texas is really um, yearbook competitive. And uh, th there would be times where I'd have I'd see that in the competitions, like in the 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 state state of Texas ILPC conventions, that that the schools the the schools that my students were editors at were like competing against one another for um, you know the individual awards, and I was like, haha, I'm I'm excited either way. I don't have to I don't have to choose sides, <laughs> but yes, I definitely and I have. I have students who've stayed in touch with me who have gone on to study um, graphic design in college or major in graphic design. Um, and so that's really exciting too, because you know I got to help them get started and kind of lit the fire and then they got to carry it on through high school and into college and into their professional careers. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, sort of a follow-up. All right, we've had the last three years of what I still call insanity, three years of insanity we've all had to deal with either from your perspective as an advisor or now those fancy titles, customer experience manager or whatever, has your booking at all changed in this three-year period? Because so many other things have. Has your booking, in your opinion, changed or is everything pretty much just the same as it's always been? It's really hard for me to speak totally about how your book has changed because um I you know I haven't been in the classroom the past two years but I think it had there there are some pieces that are still true right like it's, it's still a product that the students create market sell um and and make for their school community there it's still um you know has pictures stories captions but there are pieces of it that I think have changed um because one of the I got to talk to um, an advisor who came out for photo contest judging about a month ago, and she said that she felt like one of the things that was dramatically different about her students in her class is that, you know, she feels like the kind of the culture has changed that she and I said, oh, what do you think that's from? And she said, well, you know, the pandemic was really the first time that students experienced um, school being optional, right? Like participating in school was optional. Now I know that longtime teachers are like, I've always had kids who thought school was optional, but I think she meant more on like a broader scale that even like the kind of good and committed students realized that, you know, when, when school was virtual, they, they could turn their camera off. They could check out, they could not show up and send an email and, instead and 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 make the work up and pace and do it on their own. And I think it's really interesting is kind of like the what the change is is having to retrain those students that school actually is still not optional and and reminding them not only is it not optional but like what what the joy of being at school is about because I think they forgot that as well. All right, Kristen, obviously a follow up here. Do you, <laughs> do you think that's permanent? Do you think we can ever somehow reverse that? I I hope it's not permanent. I mean, I have to say, so I have two children of my own that belong to me and are not my students. <laughs> um, one is a junior, a high school junior, and the other is an eighth grader. And I feel like I've seen both of them have dips in interest in school. Um, but the junior has kind of, she's, she's, powered through and she's she's back in she's all in with with school and she she's not because the because the end is in sight right like she she's going to graduate next year and she's gonna she wants her future involves um she's interested in going to college so her future looks like that's where she's headed um 
And she's excited about that. And she knows that that being in her classes and participating in school is the is the necessary step to get her there. Um, the younger one is still struggling with with school and with being interested in school, but she's also really excited to go to high school. She feels like high school is where she's going to really solidify and firm up those interests. And I think this is where our our journalism advisors can be really instrumental. And I, I hate to say, I don't. I, being a teacher is already such a hard job, so I certainly don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to say that teachers need the added responsibility of <laughs> fixing what's wrong with kids right now. But I think journalism advisors who um, take time to build a classroom community and a culture around their program have an opportunity to really um, like I think the kids are I think the kids are open and ready for that kind of opportunity is I guess what I'm trying to say. I think they want to find a place where they belong. And if yearbook class can position itself as a place where kids can belong, I think that we can get some of that back. We'll get back to our friend Kristen Scott from Jostens customer experience manager education specialist love those big long terms right we're going to start digging more into the transformation idea nuts and bolts so get ready to take a lot more notes coming up here in just a bit now again hopefully if you're listening to this you want to transform your yearbook all right hopefully you're listening because you like it we appreciate that that's terrific but hopefully you want to actually really transform things for next year no matter what level college high school middle school yes even elementary school yes those don't have to just be plain old picture books you can do a lot of cool stuff and if you work with Jostens, of course we have what we think is a very transformative new element a couple years old actually that we call yearbook plus now if you do streaming television at home wherever you live of course there's all these channels out there right called plus all right, there's this plus and that plus and this plus. Okay, well, we decided on Yearbook Plus as the name of our digital complement to the yearbook. How would you like to make yearbook more interactive, more interesting? Everybody has a smartphone in their pocket. What if we get them to use that as part of your yearbooking effort and it's all tied to your book and it's free? No extra cost for this. What an amazing added value and a great way to transform what you're doing with your yearbook storytelling. Now, right now, of course, all the buzz is about AI, 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 artificial intelligence. Oh boy, you can't check the news every day without seeing a new AI story. By the way, we are working on some stuff. I won't spill the beans, but we are. It's gonna be interesting. Give us a little time, we're, we're not there yet. But Yearbook Plus is that transformative item right now that could really inject some extra life into your yearbook effort. Again, it's free, it's easy to do. Folks, it uh, makes it more interactive for them. They use their own smartphone, no matter which one it is, because this is not an app. We learned the hard way about apps. They don't work sometimes. You need to do something different. Well. Our group came up with this transformative idea called Yearbook Plus. Individual students have a chance to tell their own story with their own pictures, always moderated for safety, and it's all tied to their headshot in your book. Or you, the yearbook staff, you have extra images of something, and hopefully you have lots and lots of extra images of something. You didn't have room for all of them in the book. Rather than trash them, you know, just get rid of them or put them on the school server where we're not exactly sure what could happen to them in the future. Probably almost certainly at some point they disappear. Now you can digitally link those extra images to the pages of your book where people would scan it and boom, all this great extra material comes popping up on their phone. Now, next year, five years from now, 10 years from now, this is all web-based. The web isn't going anywhere, no matter what AI might do, okay? This is amazing. Yearbook Plus is fabulous. And there are some schools out there really digging into how can we more creatively use this amazing tool to work along with our yearbook. If you'd like more information, contact your Jostens representative. They'll be happy to give you the information. If you don't work with Jostens, ask them anyway. What is that plus thing? What, what, what's going on there? 
They'll be happy to show you and tell you. And it is incredible. We are transforming yearbook for the future. It's worth checking out. Again, Yearbook Plus, have a word with your Jostens representative. Now, to be even <laughs> more transformative, I suppose, let's get back to our friend Kristen Scott. I'm kind of calling this episode the transformation episode. Now, we're recording this in early May. So we're thinking May, summertime, probably into the fall, August, September, you know, for folks, wherever you're listening, you know, whenever your school happens to, you know, resume classes and sort of thing. And we're, we're, I don't know, Kristen, I think we're at a moment in history, you kind of touched on it there, where your book could really make a difference and we need to transform things to get things going in that direction. So we're going to see if we touch on some topics here just to maybe help some folks get past some hurdles or start some new things for we're looking ahead to next year. What can we do differently for next year? And we sort of touched on it there. I mean, Kristen, if I had $5 for every time I've heard the word apathy in a school, I could retire today because it seems to be rampant and it seems to be everywhere. And so my thought uh, from a yearbooking angle, I, I've had a lot of advisors, Scott, I just can't get the kids to work. Scott, they're just not motivated. And not just yearbook, other stuff too. So let's start there. What are some ideas or some suggestions that you can think of just to keep kids motivated and seeing the, the, the idea that, hey, I need to work hard on this because it's really important. How do we get that across to them in this day and age? What do you think? Yeah, that's a um, big one. <laughs> so honestly, I think that th it's kind of like, this is going to be funny. It's kind of like customer experience where it's something that you can't necessary, necessarily quantify the return. You have to just take a leap of faith. And I think the leap of faith involves that if you build culture in your classroom and if your students feel like they are part of a team and they feel like that they have people who they will disappoint if they don't hold up like like kind of like tug of war if they if they just sort of stand there and don't help they have people who they are going to disappoint if they don't hold their end and they don't um contribute then i think they tend to be a little bit more involved and a little bit more focused on the end result i have um I have a friend who probably many of your listeners know. His name's Mitch Eden. He's an advisor in Missouri, and he is, by all counts, a genius in the classroom. He's wonderful. And um, the year after the pandemic, the year his students returned to the classroom, and I, when I say after the pandemic, I realize that you know COVID still exists. But I'm talking about virtual. When I'm when I say it like that, I'm I'm talking about virtual. The year of virtual instruction. So the year his students returned to the classroom. He he even I mean, his book is, you know, an award winning book. It's won pacemakers and crowns. And the year um, they returned to the classroom, he said, Kristen, I just he's like, I just threw that all away. He's like, I threw any, you know, assumptions that we would be in that place away. And I decided that the goal of the year, the first year back in the classroom had to be rebuilding, that it had to be about reminding students what being part of a community means and what being part of a team and a news team and a, a journalism team means, right? Like, um, and I think he really did focus on team building and activities and putting, you know, responsibility back into the hands of the students who were craving some sort of responsibility because they had this year or two years of, of apathy um, and they wanted to pick it back up. They just needed someone to kind of put it, back in their hands. So instead of playing catch up and trying to maintain the status quo, he he focused on something very different. Um and I I think that's awesome. And maybe that's something that people can consider in their transition time. So in a sense it, it just sounds like and I'm trying to think of my time I used to be a sports coach once upon a time. And every now and then with a certain team that kind of went off the track, you would have to go back to basics. And we would say, okay, guys, we're going to go back to basics, how to dribble, talking about basketball, how to dribble, how to guard, how to shoot, you know, and some kids would roll their eyes like, I already know how to do this. Well, we're not seeing it right now. 
And when you would go back to basics, over time, things kind of get relearned. That sounds like what you're just describing. Is that about right? Yeah, it's like uh, teaching. It's like if if your teaching strategy was, you know, you, you use you, you talk about sports. So it's like if your teaching strategy was um, created by Ted Lasso, right? Like if you're using you're taking the Ted Lasso approach to teaching and you're kind of retraining your team how to be a team before you before you focus on winning. Um, and again, I'm not suggesting that you make a terrible product. I'm suggesting that you make a product that's good enough for this year. And then you you it's almost like you start you start over with the basics and kind of build from the basics. Um, and that sometimes it's OK to have a year that's good enough because they're still good and good enough, right? Now, I, I had a chat with another outstanding advisor, and she told me one thing that she likes to do is just frequent deadlines. In other words, deadlines for all kinds of things so that kids always have some kind of a target, maybe literally every week, so that they don't take time off, they don't get lazy. There's always something for them to shoot for. And I know there's some folks that they don't even, they hate deadlines. It's like they want to do the opposite of deadlines. What do you think about that, that basic idea? Just put some, put a lot of deadlines out there for kids to achieve. What about that? I think, I mean, I definitely think you could take it either way. I mean, I, I think of deadlines as being like rules. Some kids love rules. Some kids love structures. Some kids need bedtimes, right? Like the, like, and I'm <laughs> don't mean in your classroom, but I mean, just in general, like some a lot of children respond to having a, a goal to achieve. Now, I can also see that like if you have a lot of goals and you have a student who fails to meet it, then it just makes them even more frustrating, even more frustrated if it's just like constantly not meeting goals that, you know, like that can make them feel feel feelings of, of failure. Um, and so I, I can certainly see how the De like consistent deadlines can be a good thing or it could be um difficult i i loved deadlines and i i we broke every major deadline into um basically we had like a six-week production cycle it's it's been a while so it's i'm gonna it's gonna take me a minute to go back to what we did but we had a six-week production cycle and we broke each of those six weeks into two-week mini deadlines and then within that there were like clat like we i even structured it because they were middle school to like little mini almost class or weekly deadlines within the two week deadline. So they had, I would almost call them like deadline markers. So they had like little, it was, I used a lot of checklists. So it was like, these are the things you need to accomplish today so that you can meet your deadline in two weeks. And so they would have like little, little steps along the way. And I kind of like training wheels for deadlines. And I felt like that helped a lot. Somewhere I've got a Walt Disney quote about deadlines and he was all for deadlines walt disney so all those great movies we watched for many decades come on you got to get those movies done at a certain time so he was big big on deadlines um now we mentioned earlier you know Kristen, there's a lot of schools out there just they're your books a picture book all right it's just a lot of pictures kind of slapped down on pages little note little to no description and you kind of described why we really do need description in there, not just for the here and now, but for many years from now, let's say, you know, depending on when somebody's listening to this, let's say the new school year is starting. All right. It's August or September, wherever you are. Um, and there's an advisor who they want to move things better. They want to do a better job, but they have a picture book traditionally. What can they do at the very beginning of a new school year? All right. The first week, the first few weeks to start making that transition from just a plain old picture book to something much better? What are some things they can do like right out of the gate? Okay. Well, this is, this is a good question for me because when I took over the yearbook at my school, it was a picture book. And when I went to yearbook advisor training and learned what yearbooks could be, I went back to school and I was like, okay, I can't do everything that I saw in one year. So I'm going to pick one thing to focus on. And the very first thing I picked was writing. I was like, we are going to include writing in our book. And it doesn't have to be amazing writing. It doesn't have to be perfect writing, but we are going to include writing in our book. And so that writing took the form of a couple of different things. Um, we, in, we incorporated some stories. We incorporated some captions. We incorporated some quotes, like direct quotes from students, and we incorporated identifications on photos. So I would say 
look at the types, start first as an advisor and determine which of those types of writing are gonna be most doable. I would say that identifying the people in the photos from my experience was the easiest. Um, quotes and captions are kind of the next area of, of easiest and then stories tend to be the more, more challenging. So if you're gonna start first, just first just set a goal. So that would be the first thing. And then in terms of like arming your students and preparing your students for, let's just say we're gonna do the minimum, we're gonna do identifications, maybe quotes and captions, right? Like we're gonna start with that. Then I would say um, the big piece is, uh, it, so the big piece to writing captions and getting quotes is talking, having conversations with students. I always told my students when they'd say, oh, I'm going out to get a quote, I would correct them and I'd say, what are you doing? And they would say, I'm going to have a conversation because I wanted them to think of interviews as conversations, not as like a transaction where they go and they're seeking something from this person, they're going to get it and they're going to walk away. If they approached each interview or each, you know, as a conversation, then they were going to be listening to the person who they talked to and they were going to be listening for a story. And once you start finding out the stories that students in your school have, you want to put them in the book because they make the book come to life, right? That's really the kind of gift that you get when you include writing, because people always say, oh, no one wants to read anything in our book. But actually, if you're finding stories and you're finding the life of your school, they will want to read it. And so the easiest things I would do are um, focus on interviewing and practice interviewing. The first week of school, I gave my students an index card and I said, bring this back. I want you to bring, I gave them three index cards and I said, bring each one back. Each one is going to be, I also referred to students in the school as characters. So I told them, I want you to find three characters in the school that you don't already know. And on the back, you're going to write their name on the front and on the back, you're going to write three things that you find out after having a conversation with them. That was their first week assignment. And so that's one thing I could recommend. And then the other thing I would recommend is that we have a really cool, um, coverage report or uh, I think it's like an interview um, interview form in the digital classroom that's designed for students who are going to photograph events to kind of take notes in the field. So for them to kind of notice as they're out um, taking photos, notice who the characters are, like who who had big plays in the football game or who, you know, like where were the funny moments, where were the notable moments and kind of note down who those characters are. Um, and if they don't know who they are, kind of maybe note the photo number so they can come back and they can get that person identified and they can, can figure that out. And I think that's those are two things that they can start at the beginning of the school year. It's just kind of breaking down that um, nervousness about talking to people that they don't know and starting to figure out who the characters are in the school, the characters whose stories they want to tell. So it sounds like this particular year you're describing, um, you didn't you didn't take the big gulp meaning, hey, we're going to do everything different, you know, as opposed to what we did before. You kind of took things sort of step by step. Does that sound right? Yes. And so the first, that first year you described, it was all about the writing, just writing that year. Yes. Well, I had been teaching a photography class. So I had students who took great photos. So, and I knew how to teach photography. So I was able to supplement yearbook photos with photos I was assigning my students of my photography classes. So I, I, so I knew we could ha handle photography. I was like, I got this. Um, and so the first year we did, we focused on writing and including writing in the book. The next year we worked on, on page design and making sure our page designs, you know, made sense and kind of like, um, were reader friendly that the copy we were taking the time to write was going to get read because we were making designs that made it easy to figure out where that copy went and what it belonged to. And then in the third year, we worked on um, upping our photography game. And then we went, and then the next year we went back to writing and we kind of cycled through each year with kind of one overall goal, just to kind of constantly improve the publication by taking just one little thing at a time. Interesting. So writing, design, photography, writing, design for just one step at a time. So, okay. Now I'm curious now, again, you let a middle school, I mean, middle schools and high schools shouldn't be that much different. I don't think I want to ask a question about organization. Now, granted, these are younger kids that you dealt with thinking not as experienced, 
you know, maybe not as mature and so on. How did you handle the organization of your group? How did you sort of get things done and who did them? So, I mean, I would say that I think that middle school students are equally capable as high school students. I would say that the the, the biggest challenges you face with middle school kids the, is one is practical. They don't have cars, so they can't go. It's hard for them to get to events, but they do have computers and many of them have cameras and they all have phones. So if you can figure out ways to get students um two events and give them the tools they need, then they're totally willing to do the work. Um, the other the other ones are just middle schools students, a lot of their brains aren't as fully developed as as high school students and even high school students aren't fully developed um, until they're adults. Um, but the, they're very black and white thinkers. A lot of times, you know, they're like, if I can't, if I can't go to this event entirely, there's no point in going and, and, you know, kind of really coaching them into some coverage is better than no coverage, right? Some, some candid photos are better than no candid photos. Um, so just really working with them on that. And then also middle school students also get very enthusiastic about the new things that they learn. And so kind of teaching them that, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So sometimes you don't need to have 14 fonts on a page. Let's try and keep it down to, you know, two, maybe three <laughs> maximum. Um, and so really it's for, for coaching students, it was all about um, organization and kind of, like I said earlier, when we were talking about deadlines, so um, giving them some boundaries and giving them some uh, structure surrounding the boundaries. Uh, like I said, I used a lot of checklists because I found that that was really that since they were black and white thinkers, it was like, it was as soon as it was done, they could check it off. Um, and having like those, those little markers and those organizational markers that allowed them to kind of pace the work on kind of a more um, amorphous project, right? Like the, the yearbook, there's, it's, it doesn't like, when you don't have like just this one thing that you do and then you turn it in, but you have all these little things that you do before you can turn it in, it made it a lot easier for them to to kind of pull all of that together into one spread or one uh, product. We'll get back to our final segment with our friend Kristen Scott from Jostens about transforming the yearbook effort coming up in just a bit. We're going to start with editors, which my experience over 20 plus years of doing this, the majority of yearbook advisors really don't know what to do with editors. A lot of them don't even have editors, student editors. And if they do, they're not exactly how to organize them. They're not sure what to do with them. Stay tuned. Kristen's got some ideas and a very honest answer when I asked her, why should advisors continue to be yearbook advisor? She gives us a very honest answer answer to that question. So get ready for more on that here in just a little bit. Again, this transformation idea, I mean, it's not, you know, cute or, you know, it's like, oh, buzzword. No, we're talk, we're serious here. How can we transform yearbook for the future? The last three years, of course, have taught us a lot of things, right? A lot of things, either personal things, education things, how students react to school or maybe don't react to school, all the teachers, you know, the teacher shortage thing all over the country, everywhere from the last three years. Look what that's done. Clearly, schools and education need transformation right now, and so do yearbook efforts. It's not difficult to do. It's uh, maybe, maybe call it a reset of sorts. But of course, we've all heard that old line about the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. If you're struggling right now with your yearbook or your yearbook staff, maybe your book sales are struggling, maybe they're going down, you have apathy, you don't know what to deal with. If you keep doing the same thing every year, guess what? Of course, you know the answer to this. Not, nothing's going to change. Can we transform what we do with the yearbook? So it not only benefits you, yearbook advisor, it benefits your yearbook kids, maybe especially from a more of an educational aspect. 
It benefits the student body of your school because hopefully more stories are being told about more of them so they feel more included, you know, the fancy word inclusive at school. And of course, then how do we affect the entire school? Maybe in some cases, even going out to the entire community. That takes a transformation. And you know, the old line, we probably all have thought it, you know, one person can't make a difference. And of course, if you look at history, you find out that's not true. One person can make a difference in certain situations at the right time with the right ideas one person or two or five or 10 can make a difference for a school or a community at large. Your yearbook group could be that group. And that's not wild to say like, oh, that's crazy talk. No, think about it. If we take the time to transform what we do, our basic yearbooking activities to go bigger and better and do more cool stuff, it will have a transformative effect on those around us, in this particular case, probably your entire school, by the great work done essentially by a handful of people. It is possible to do. So keep on listening. We've got some more news and notes and ideas and thoughts and suggestions for you. But then it, again, if you're going into summer or if you're listening, it's into summer right now, Take some time to just sit down with a pen and paper and just think, how can we transform what we do? Some of the notes here from the program here, some things you come up with your own, you see some stuff online, you talk to your Jossens representative, absolutely make them part of your team. Don't let them be some, you know, super secret person that you only see, you know, a few times a year. No, they should be an active part of your team all the time. If it's during the school year and we're busy, we all have Zoom accounts or something similar. We can zoom into your class for a few minutes to go over things and critique things and do a little uh, gentle kick in the pants and that sort of stuff, okay? That's how you can help to transform your entire effort. It's worth the work. Trust me on that one. And I think I've got a lot of folks out there that are really into your booking, passionate. They'll all nod their head and say, yes, it is. It's worth the effort. Let's see what we can do. So let's go back now to our final segment with our friend Kristen Scott. All right, now what about editorial structure? In other words, kids having particular maybe leadership type roles and so on. And again, middle school, I mean, middle school, high school, sort of different, maybe not. How did you handle student decision-making? I mean, it's their project. How did, how did they swing that? So I, I did have editors. I, at first I didn't because I wasn't sure how to pick them. And so at some point the editors were selected by this is the, you know, like the only editors were kids who were on yearbook a second time. So it was like someone who took yearbook as a seventh grader and then um, stayed on as an eighth grader that they kind of automatically became an editor or a leader. But eventually, uh, you know, after several years, you know, I had lots of kids who were returning and I had lots of kids who wanted leadership roles. So I had to start thinking about how I wanted to organize them. You know, so were editors in charge of producing content? Were they in charge of managing content? And it was some mix of both but essentially you know i would have production teams that had a writer a, a photographer and a designer on it and they would be responsible for a certain number of pages and then there was usually an editor assigned to multiple production teams to kind of manage their work and sometimes and and that was true for like if someone was a photo editor they might manage three teams and they might also be managing like photo and equipment checkouts and help, but the photo editor often helped, you know, all teams if they were having trouble selecting a dominant photo, right? Like, so there were certain things that were the responsibility, but then they also had kind of general leadership roles. And I've got to say, I had tremendous luck with having um, editorial leaders on the middle school yearbook staff. I, I mean, kids kids want to be given responsibility at any age i mean even taught like not maybe not toddlers but even elementary age kids want you know to be given responsibilities and they they kind of thrive when when someone puts that trust in them and allows them to be leaders so i tried to let them lead i really did try and I, i've used the word coach several times and i tried really hard to act like a coach i tried not to jump on the field and play the game for them but to actually like stand on the sidelines and give them the tools they needed to, to, to lead the team and to, to get the product done themselves. 
In other words, you were the advisor, so you were advising the students on what to do. Yes? Yes. Yes, 100%. I was the advisor. And I, I am deeply in favor of the advisor as coach model. I think that that's one of the only ways to get it done and to still kind of maintain your own life and sanity. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's suppose for a moment. All right. Sticking with editors. Let's say you go back to the classroom. Let's say you're going back into the classroom and let's say it's a high school this time, just, just for argument. I mean, if you were leading a new uh, high school effort, as far as editor positions are concerned, because a lot of people get confused, well, what kind, well, what should they be doing and so on. If you were sort of in charge again of a staff, what edit editor roles would you have and, and, and why those? Um, well, an editor in chief, I would definitely have. And the editor in chief is essentially the person who's like right beneath the advisor and is basically um, has the authority of the advisor, but ideally is the only editor who reports directly to the advisor, right? Like they kind of like all editors roll up to the editor-in-chief and then the editor-in-chief is kind of the liaison with the advisor. That would be ideal. Um, and then I would say, and, and they kind of, they're kind of like the boss, right? There or the junior advisor, right? Like they're they're kind of the person who who answers the questions and solves the problems and and is makes decisions. Um, design editor, copy editor, uh, photo editor, all of those can be kind of handled in different ways. But like you know, a photography editor is really essential. I think not not all students know how to use equipment, so providing education. Uh, I think having someone who uh, can also um, help make big photo decisions for pages. Like I also think that sometimes kids take great photos, but they don't always know which one is the best photo for, you know, for the dominant on a page or within a spread. So having someone who can maybe help um, when, when students are selecting their photos, copy editor to just make sure that, you know, like if you have a style guide for your writing, if captions all start, you know, one sort of way and you have caption lead-ins and you have this, so just someone who's there to protect the the style integrity or the journalistic integrity of, of the book and the words that go into it. And then a design editor, same thing, but but protecting the kind of design style. So, and, you know, I had definitely had some years where I had multiple people. I had multiple, there were, there were times where I had multiple um, photo editors. I usually only had one design editor um, and I sometimes had two copy editors if we were going to be doing a kind of writing heavy book. And then I think it's important to have someone who manages business. And I think I would also um, rec I would also recommend an activities editor or activities director, somebody who is planning those kind of like fun uh, team building and community building activities for the staff. Because if 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 you don't have someone who's planning it, they won't happen. I love all of that. I love the last one. I was waiting. I'm like, <laughs> I call it the fun editor. Yeah. Because I've seen, Kristen, I've seen too many situations where your book is a chore and it's treated as a chore and nobody likes doing chores. Nobody. And so if we can find ways maybe every week to inject a little fun, little teamwork, I think that's only a good thing. Is that pretty much what you were talking about? Oh, 100%. I, so I think it was, I think, you know, earlier I was talking about how this year we worked on writing and then the next year was design and then this. I, I think it was like maybe four years into yearbook, I was not having any fun. I was miserable. I was stressed. It was hard. Um, and I wasn't having fun, which meant the kids weren't having fun. And I... I can't remember. I, I think it, when I go back to Mitch, it was either Mitch or Mitch Eden or Sarah Nichols, who I saw speak and they talked about team building. And I was like that, that's what I want to do. And I listened to them present and I was like, I want to do that. And I bought this calendar at Target that was called, was just a, it was just a calendar. It was a big wall calendar and it was called like day of good or something. And so I had every kid sign up for a day of good for, and I was like, I'm just going to do it the first month of school and see how it goes. And by the end of the month, the kids 
were like, we can't get rid of it next month. We have to do it all year. And it was like, whether it was a motivational video or a game, or one, one day a, a student brought in like, just like little snack size chips. And she wrote little like notes that were like, you're awesome on it and like taped them to it and like just had motivational things. Whatever the person who signed up for it could come up with, it was just something that like reminded them that they were part of a team. That was my best year teaching ever. And we did that every year after that. And it made yearbook a fun place and it made our books so much better. And it made our yearbook classroom a home that kids wanted to be in and participate in, in what we were doing. Even, even the reluctant kids wanted to do it. Now, folks, that is transformation right there. <laughs> we got to change the game in, in probably too many instances across wherever we work. And Jostens is pretty much global now, essentially, but it's the same basic thought. All right, now, Crystal, let's talk about photos. And for Jostens schools, hopefully you've already seen what we call the Jostens J-Class videos on your Yearbook Avenue website. They've been out for a couple of years now. They are phenomenal. They're awesome. And Kristen, I, say, I swear my favorite still might be the one that you did, which was essentially Photo 101. And if I'm correct, you did all of that from your house. Am I correct <laughs> on that? Yes? Yeah, I did. Because back then we were all stuck in our houses, you know, that sort of thing. And you just, <laughs> you just, okay. you went over some really quick tips that anybody could do if all they have is a smartphone. And earlier you mentioned your two youngsters, they were both in this video. I'm like real, <laughs> real life people. All right. And it was, that's just a great video. It's like, here it is guys. Here's the how to boom. Um, you should do another one of those. You need to do a, <laughs> you need to do a sequel. Can you do a sequel? to photo 101 and we yeah. have a photo too um what would you want in the sequel even more ideas <laughs> even more tips let's go back to basics though because again everybody knows how a camera works but they don't necessarily have you know the basics on how to go out and take good photos that are really different not just stand still and say cheese so mm -hmm. go back to your 101 video again we're transforming here we're starting we're doing the basics what are just some simple, basic photo tips people can immediately go out and start taking better pictures? What can they do? <clears throat> I think um, I think that if they think about the fact that all that the pictures they take are going to be placed likely within one spread of a yearbook, then they should be thinking about variety, right? Because um, and variety doesn't just mean I'm going to take a picture of person A, person B, person C, then person C and D together. And um, variety can mean um, not just shots of one person, but shots of multiple people. So, so individual, small group, large group. That's one way to look at variety. Variety when you're looking at an event is looking at before the event, during the event, and after the event. Variety also means that you're taking some a variety of action shots, which are what's happening, reaction shots, that's people reacting to what's happening, and then emotion shots, which are often overlap with reaction, but emotion shots are those moments where you capture people like having the authentic human emotion in that moment. And I think emotion is really important because emotion doesn't always happen like on the field or on the stage, it can, um, emotion can sometimes be, you know, happening behind you or next to you or next to the person who's having the action. So you, if you're looking for all of that kind of variety, um, and then variety can be where you stand. So maybe you stand up above, you're taking the picture, you're not taking the picture right here in front of your face, but sometimes you're taking the picture up high. Sometimes you're taking it down low. Um, sometimes you're taking the picture variety where the subject is in the center of the photo. Sometimes the subject is going to be off center, like maybe using a rule of thirds. So if you think about the fact that all of those different styles of variety can create a really diverse and attractive looking yearbook spread, as opposed to a spread where every single picture looks the same, um, then I think that's probably the biggest tip I could give you for 
without having to go into anything too technical. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, work on that sequel. Okay. There's got okay. <laughs> to be a sequel of some kind. All right. Very quickly, equipment. All right. Now we have, I'll call them the fancy cameras, you know, the SLRs, now the mirrorless cameras, the ones with the different kinds of lenses and all that sort of thing. They're great. And of course, now we have our smartphones, iPhone, Android, and so on. If I recall from your 101 lesson, that was all smartphone. Was it not the pictures? Yes. It was indeed. I think, all right, maybe I'm wrong and some people might disagree. I think smartphones are now the go-to camera for your booking, mainly because they take pretty good pictures, not in all instances, but of course, I always have it in my pocket. Yes or no? Is that the go-to phone? Um, I, I don't know that I, I mean, I think it depends on what you're trying to do, but I think the only camera, <laughs> the only camera that is the bad camera is no camera, right? Like, so if the camera you have on you is your phone, then yes, it is the best camera to use for your yearbook. And I, I think the only negatives I've heard from people out in the world about using or relying on the cell phone as your go-to camera is that there are some schools that don't allow students to have their phones out and present during the school day, right? So if like you go to a school where, you know, you have those like little pouches on the wall and you have to check your camera at the door when you walk in the classroom door, then it's going to be really hard to reach for your cell phone camera to, to document what's happening in your class. And so that's something that you would, I guess, have to work out with school administration. But yes, I think, um, I think cell phone cameras are fantastic. And I think that, um, they are an asset to the yearbook team. All right. Now you're several years removed, but go back to your middle school time. How did your kids take photos? I mean, did they have to like get permission? They couldn't use their phones. How did they handle that? So students were allowed to use their phones. Um, my students had a, a, a press pass, like a badge that they wore whenever they were taking pictures. Um, so if, um, if they were if they were like sent out to photograph an event that was happening in the class, they would wear their press pass, which meant they could they could either use a camera or their phone. They could record an interview on their phone. They could take photos on their phone, um, or they could use a, a class camera. And we had mostly DSLRs of very different years and quality. Um, but so that was how they they took photos. Um, if they were in a class and something was happening. You know, I encourage them to ask the teacher, is it okay if I take pictures of this with my phone for yearbook? I'm um, just kind of common courtesy. Which makes perfect sense. <laughs> and and it works. So for advisors out there that, I don't know, for some reason, your kids aren't allowed to take pictures at all, ever during school, we got to find a way around that. Got to find a way around that somehow. All right, Kristen, final question. And I guess I'm going to, this is the same final question I ask just about everybody with these interviews here, but I'm going to change this one slightly. And this is for any yearbook advisor out there, but maybe especially the newer ones, a rookie first year, second year, third year person. And especially after the three years we've had to deal with and all the extra stuff that has come along with that in education. My question is, why should somebody continue to do this, Kristen? Or why should someone become your book advisor in the first place? Why do this at all? How would you, if somebody asked you that face-to-face, -face, how would you answer that question? Well, I mean, if I'm being honest, <laughs> if you, if, if, a, if, a, if an advisor came up to me and was like, why should I do this? I might <laughs> say, Maybe you shouldn't, right? Like, I mean, maybe this, maybe the, the job's not for everybody, but I will say that some of the happiest moments in the past, like 20 years happened inside the classroom. I, I can't tell you how much joy I found once I figured out how to make my classroom a joyous place to be. And I think, you know, inspiring students who go on to like teaching students something that inspires them to follow a path that they continue on into high school, into college and into their adulthood is rewarding. It's beyond rewarding. Taking a student who has no joy in their school day and, and creating a place where they find joy is rewarding beyond imagination, right? And, and then also just like 
creating this publication that students, parents, school community members, neighborhood community members can go back and refer back to years down the road. And that, you know, reminds them of this time and place. And ideally some of the joyous moments that happened also, you know, is, is, um, wonderful beyond, you know, imagination. So I would say, yeah, I mean, is your book advising hard is teaching hard? Yes. 100%. My, my sincere, like hats off to everybody who's out there doing this job. It is hard and it's not for everybody, but there are rewarding moments. You just have to like open yourself up to find them. Now that is an honest answer. <laughs> I appreciate that, that you, you hit it. I think you hit it. A very transformative answer. I like that. Good, good, good wrap up to the end here. So Kristen, I really appreciate your time uh, today and uh, thanks very much. You are welcome. And get to work on that sequel. I will. I will. <laughs>A big thank you to our friend Kristen Scott once again. She's doing great stuff for Jostens right now again as an education specialist, a customer experience manager. Fancy terms essentially saying, what can we do to help out schools and yearbook advisors to do an even better yearbooking effort? That's it. And hopefully you took a lot of notes from this episode. Because Kristen, I thought, shared some knock-em-out-of-the-park ideas. Some are no-brainers, but some are like, hey, I never thought of that. That's a good one. I had that thought several times during our interview. Like, hey, I never considered that. That's a cool idea. Let's see what you can do now over these coming weeks and months to transform your yearbooking effort for next year. Now, again, this is the end of Season 5 of the Yearbooking Report. Will there be a Season 6? Well, we'll let you hang on that one. All right, not exactly sure what the future is going to bring. We're going to be transforming things. We're going to be a little busy, you know. We'll see what happens come fall, all right? But in the meantime, we thank you for listening to the Yearbooking Report podcast.